Welcome to our next topic, which we are going to um, delve into the resurrection of Jesus. As you can see behind me, there's a beautiful picture of the resurrection. And this is the most important part of the Christian faith. Uh, basically, without the resurrection, St. Paul says our faith would be in vain. So we're going to take a look at the resurrection today in this topic. So let's read Mark's version of the resurrection. We see it in Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, so this would be a Sunday, and this is why the church has moved the Sabbath to Sunday because of the resurrection of Jesus. That became the, the holiest of days because that's when Jesus rose from the dead. We know that because the Bible tells us the Sabbath was over. So that was Saturday. They crucified Jesus on a Friday. He was in the tomb Friday, he was in the tomb Saturday, and he rose from the dead on Sunday. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Remember, they had to hurriedly bury the body on Friday because Jesus died at around three and the Sabbath began at sundown. So they had to get to the tomb quickly and then rest. So now they're going back to anoint him. Very early when the sun had risen on the first day of the week. So there we go again. We know it's a Sunday. They came to the tomb. They were saying to one another, who will roll back the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? So they forgot that when Jesus was put into the tomb, a very large stone was rolled to cover the entrance. Uh, kind of like a mausoleum. Uh, it's in the side of a cliff, most likely carved into rock. Um, and this, there were shelves where the bodies were placed. So this stone would have been rounded to roll down a slight incline. So it would seal the tomb, but in order to open the tomb, if you were burying more than one person, you had to have probably at least four men, um, to roll that stone back because it was extremely heavy. When they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. So when they get to the tomb, the stone is rolled back. On entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a white robe, and they were oddly amazed. So this is most likely an angel. He said to them, do not be amazed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, the crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. So the angel tells the women that Jesus is risen. Now, as far as we know from the scriptural accounts, no one witnesses the actual resurrection of Jesus. Um, but we see the effects after the resurrection. So they get to the tomb and it's empty. Go and tell his disciples and Peter, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him as he told you. Then they went out and fled from the tomb, seized with trembling and bewilderment. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So they 
are so afraid that initially they don't tell anyone. But we know from the other accounts that they eventually tell the apostles who also don't believe the women. They're not, they're incredulous. When he had risen early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told his companions who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. So this gives a veracity to the account because it shows the apostles in a negative light. The apostles and the disciples initially do not believe in the resurrection, uh, which gives it a truthful truthfulness to the account. After this, he appeared in another form to two of them walking along on their way to the country. Uh, these would be the two that Jesus appears to on the way to Emmaus, which Luke accounts. They returned and told the others, but they did not believe them either. But later, as the 11 were at table, Jesus appeared to them and rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he'd been raised. And he said to them, go into the whole world and proclaim the gospel to every creature. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Okay, so then he tells them that they will do miracles. And verse 19, so then the Lord Jesus, after he spoke to them, was taken up into heaven and took his seat at the right hand of God. But they went forth and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word through accompanying signs and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. Amen. Okay, so that's Luke's account, excuse me, that's Mark's account of the resurrection. So, few things here. Faith in the resurrection uh, has as its object an event which is historically attested to by the disciples who really encounter the risen one. So it's a real historical event, but when we read it at the same time, this event is mysteriously transcendent, that it goes beyond our normal experience, obviously, because it's Christ's humanity is now glorified. So it's the same Jesus, it's the same body, but it's transcendent, it's glorified. Um, it's at that higher level of creation, if you will, uh, that we will share in for those who die in faith and grace in Christ. Um, now, as I said, St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. So without the resurrection, Jesus is not who he says he was. He's not the son of God. The resurrection is the seal of the father's approval on the divine sonship of Jesus. So the empty tomb and the linen cloths lying there signify in themselves that by God's power, Christ's body had escaped the bonds of death and corruption. They prepared the disciples to encounter the risen Lord. So the empty tomb is not a direct proof of the resurrection, but it points to the reality that the resurrection has occurred once they see the risen Christ. Um, the condition of the cloths also point to the resurrection. We'll see that in a moment. So Christ, the firstborn from the dead, is the principle of our own resurrection. So we will share in the glory of Christ 
because he has redeemed us on the cross, if we die in his grace, and our bodies will have that new life imparted to them. So the resurrection is truly proof of the divinity of Christ and his victory over Satan, sin, and death. And this is why Easter is the holiest of Christian feasts. Christmas is an important feast, but Easter far surpasses it because there'd be no point to Christmas if there was no resurrection. So Easter is the most solemn feast day of the Christian faith because it is the seal of approval. It is the binding tie. It is the capstone of all we believe as Christians. It's the source of everything. The divinity of Jesus, his conquering of Satan, sin, and death, his glorified humanity, his new creation. This is all integral to the Christian faith. So as um, Pope Benedict, the last Pope, um, says, it's a fulcrum of the Christian faith. Pope Benedict said that, a fulcrum. It's the, it's the center. Okay. Now, what about the linen cloths? Well, we do have proof of the resurrection based on the Shroud of Turin, which is an image of a crucified man on a linen cloth that has been proven to be an ancient cloth going back to the time of Christ. There was a carbon-14 gating of it that was flawed. As you can see, these patches, the shroud was in a fire uh, in the Middle Ages, and the carbon-14 sampling was taken from that area, so obviously that was flawed. But through other studies with uh, samples of pollen and also uh, other historical proofs, the shroud has been uh, traced back to the time of Christ. And we can't explain how this image got on the cloth. This is a negative image because we're seeing a negative of it. And it's type AB blood, it's human blood. And it has perfectly consistent with the gospels, the wounds of Christ, the crowning with thorns. You can see the head has blood um, from puncture wounds, the, uh, the nails in, in the uh, lower part of the hand near the wrist, which can support the weight of a human body on a cross the scourge marks, and of course, the nails in uh, the nail through the foot, both feet. Um, it's not a scorch. Um, it's, uh, it's a perfect photographic negative. Um, parts of the frontal image are resolvable in three, uh, resol resolvable in three dimensions. Uh, it's a double image. Um, there is no way that science can prove this, how this image got on here. Um, the body would have had to be non-physical. It would have had to pass. It would have had to be mechanically transparent because there's the double image on the front part of the cloth and a fainter image on the outer surface away from the body without an image between the surfaces. So that the only way that that image could have gotten on there was through some kind of burst of energy and the body would have passed through the cloth. So the shroud is a proof of a miraculous event that gave us the image of Christ. And Christians would believe that that is the resurrection. Um, the other proof of his resurrection is the empty tomb. Um, first of all, Jesus's enemies would have produced a body 
um, because they knew that the resurrection would prove who Jesus was. And if they believed it was a hoax, if the apostles had hid the body, uh, they would have definitely produced the body. Uh, but no body was ever produced. And it was probably searched for diligently throughout Jerusalem. Because remember, you have the, the leaders uh, in charge of this investigation who had great power and authority. Um, and the empty tomb uh, also, the tomb was sealed and guarded by Roman guards. So it would have been impossible for the body to have been stolen. Um, and the other proof of the resurrection is that when the apostles started preaching the resurrection, they had nothing to gain and everything to lose by lying. Um, the church grew rather than shrunk uh, after Jesus's resurrection. There were more followers. Usually when a leader died, the followers would scatter and the movement would die. Christianity is completely the opposite. Um, the apostles die for their faith. St. Paul is beheaded. Peter is crucified. Why would they do this for a lie? They didn't gain power. They didn't gain money. If anything, they gained persecution and suffering. Uh, so they had everything to lose and nothing to gain. But they preached this um, and ended up as martyrs. They didn't apostatize uh, and left the Christian faith because they would have been rewarded most likely by the enemies of Jesus. Um, this proves that they saw the risen Christ. Uh, so we have the proof there of. Uh, many, many different proofs supporting the historical uh, truth of the resurrection. Okay. So an angel announces Christ's resurrection to the three women who went to anoint his body. We saw this when Christ appeared also to St. Mary Magdalene. Christ appeared to two of the disciples on the road to Emmaus that Mark recalls this, but he... Um, he doesn't go into detail. Luke goes into detail. And they recognize Jesus. Uh, they're on their way, and Jesus appears with them. And they recognize Jesus in the breaking of the bread. Uh, and Jesus disappears from their sight. So they see the risen Christ. Um, then Jesus appears to his disciples in a locked room, and he shows them he was alive. And he gives them the power to forgive sin. So he's able to appear in a locked room. Um, without opening the door. So this shows the transcendent glorification of his body. Um, but it's a real body because Thomas wants to touch the wounds or he won't believe. And Thomas actually touches Jesus's wounds. Jesus eats in front of them to show that he is truly human yet glorified. And Thomas believes in Jesus after he sees and touches the wounds. So Christ then sends his disciples back to Galilee. Uh, they're fishing one day. And he appears to them and they have, a, uh, they can't catch anything. And Jesus from the shore says, lower your nets. They catch a miraculous catch of 153 fish. It's interesting. The actual number is mentioned. Um, 153 at the time was considered the amount of uh, different types of fish in the, in the known world at that time. So it probably signifies the net signifies the church gathering all of the nations through Christ and the apostles and Christ. Uh, reaffirms Peter's role um, as the first pope. Um, Peter denied Jesus three times, you remember, uh, when he was confronted during Jesus's trial. And now Jesus asks him three times if he loves him. 
to affirm, uh, redeem his former threefold denial. So let's take a look at that. John's Gospel. Okay. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Together with Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples. So the author, John, is there. He's one of the sons of Zebedee. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we also will come with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. When it was already dawn, Jesus was standing on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. See, this is a phenomenon we notice with the risen Christ. Uh, initially, there's um, a lack of recognition, which could point to his glorification, that there's a, something is slightly off a little bit from what they're normally used to seeing in Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, have you caught anything to eat? They answered him, no. So he said to them, cast the net over the right side of the boat and you will find something. So they cast it and were not able to pull it in because of the number of fish. So the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tucked in his garment and jumped into the sea. The other disciples came into the boat for they were not far from the shore only about 100 yards, dragging the net with the fish. So they come in the boat to the shore. When they climbed out on the shore, they saw a charcoal fire with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter went over and dragged the net ashore full of 153 large fish. So this is a metaphor for the church. The church is a net because Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men to his, uh, to his apostles, who many were fishermen. And Peter, notice Peter's dragging all of the fish because he will be the head of the church. And even though there were so many, the net was not torn. So this shows how the church will reach out to all of the nations. Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they realized it was the Lord. Jesus came over, took the bread and gave it to them. And in like manner, the fish. This was now the third time Jesus was revealed to his disciples after being raised from the dead. When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my lambs. He then says to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter was distressed that he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So notice he calls him Simon because Peter in his weakness, the rock in his weakness had denied his Lord three times. Now Jesus gets him to repent 
repent three times. He calls him Simon. And then he's referred at the end of the account as Peter. He will be the shepherd, the head of the church, who will feed the sheep, feed the lambs, the first pope. Okay, so the, the next thing Jesus does is he stays with them for 40 days after his resurrection. See this in Luke's gospel. Okay, let's see here. Uh, sorry, actually, let's go to uh, Luke's second book, Book of Acts. It's also written by Luke, which we'll see next time. But um, it says in Luke, excuse me, in Acts 1-3, Jesus presented himself alive to them by many proofs after he had suffered appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While meeting with them, he enjoyed them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father about which you have heard me speak. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says, go back to Jerusalem after I'm done with you and you will receive the Spirit in 10 days. Um, so as he said this, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him from their sight. So this is what we call the ascension of Jesus into heaven. While they were looking intently at the sky as he was going, suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. They said, men of Galilee, why are you standing there looking at the sky? This Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will return in the same way as you have seen him going into heaven. So this is the ascension of Jesus. Now, now um, it seems like he has left them, but he's still present with them through his sacraments, through his church, because at the end of Matthew's gospel, his parting words to them are, get there for you here go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you and behold i am with you always until the end of the age so matthew identifies jesus as the emmanuel means god with us and he literally ends his gospel with jesus's words i am with you always so even though he has ascended into heaven and has taken his seat at the right hand of the father, Jesus hasn't abandoned his church. He's still present through the sacraments, uh, especially the Eucharist, um, his real presence. He's present through the Pope and the bishops where he continues to teach his church through faith and morals and sacred tradition. And he guides his church continually through his holy word as well as scripture. Old and New Testaments. So Christ has not left um, his um, church. He's still with his church. Okay, so that's going to do it for this topic, um, the resurrection of Jesus. And we will continue uh, next time with, after Jesus goes into heaven, we will see the... Um, growth of the early church, the book of Acts, and how the church spreads and grows under the authority of Peter and the apostles 
after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Okay, so Godspeed, and we'll see you next time.